What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So the other day, I got to interview Mike Levin, the head coach of Northeastern Baseball. It was a great time, so thank you so much, Mike, for taking the time to come on to the podcast. It was a true honor and a privilege being able to talk Northeastern Baseball with him for over an hour. And thank you guys for all listening. I had 125 views just about so far, which is awesome. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen. As always, you guys know I do appreciate it. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about the Clippers to start off the episode. Then I'll talk about the Celtics in the middle part. And then at the end, I'll talk about John Morant and his return to the Memphis Grizzlies starting lineup. So let's start off with the Clippers. They're the most red-hot team in the NBA right now, 14-3 in the last 17 games, a league-best nine-game winning streak. They end up fourth in the Western Conference, and they've not lost a game since November 30th. The last time the Clippers lost was November 30th, an undefeated December, which is great to see. Huge wins the last three games. They beat the Knicks last Saturday, 144-122. Then they beat the Pacers, 151-127. And both of those games... The Clippers scored over 144, which is very impressive. And then last night, they beat the Mavericks 120-111. to 111. So break down each of those three games, give my thoughts on the Clippers, and then dive in to talking about the Celtics. So let's talk about that win last Saturday against the Knicks. They beat the Knicks 144-122. to 122. The Clippers shot very well from three in that game. They were 16 of 33 for a 48.5% three-point percentage, which is very impressive. Kawhi Leonard continues to be on a tear, and right now I'd say he's a top three player in the NBA. Nobody's been as consistent and as aggressive attacking the rim and scoring the ball like he has been over the last two weeks. He has just been dominant both ways, offense and defense. And this is the Kawhi Leonard that the Clippers need. This is the Kawhi Leonard the Clippers need if they want to make the NBA Finals. Reality is, the Clippers have a lot of talent, a lot of offensive firepower, Norman Powell, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Paul George. But in reality, if the Clippers want to make the NBA Finals, Kawhi Leonard needs to be their best player night in and night out. And in that game against the Knicks, he was awesome. 36 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, shot 5 of 6 from 3, which was great. 12 of 16 from the floor, a very efficient night on the offensive end for Kawhi Leonard. Paul George had a very good game in that one as well. 25 points off of 11 of 18 shooting. Also had 7 assists. James Harden didn't take many shots that night, only 6 shots with 10 points and 12 assists. Did have a steal and two blocks on the defensive end. His defense has definitely been underrated and something that I've been bragging about a lot of the podcast because he hasn't been getting much publicity for his defense over the last, I don't know, three or four seasons. A lot of the talk has been that James Harden can't play defense, and I haven't seen that. When he's been on the Clippers, he's been hustling, making plays, getting his hands in passing lanes, deflecting passes, getting blocks, contesting threes. He's been great for the Clippers on the defensive end. So no complaints from me about James Harden's defense, even though the whole narrative around his career is that he can't play defense. He has been good for the Clippers on the defensive end. One thing is, though, they're not going to have a night where all three or all four of the big four have 25-plus points. And that's a reality. In this game against the Knicks, Kawhi Leonard, 36 points. Paul George, 25 points. But then Westbrook only had 15 minutes off the bench, which was tough. Had 10 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists. Did have a steal in that one as well. But Paul George and Kawhi Leonard having 25 and 36 means that James Harden and Russell Westbrook don't have big offensive nights, which is okay. I mean, the Clippers are fine with winning games. Somebody does have to sacrifice for these wins to happen, but Russell Westbrook is okay with going to the bench, and props to him. Obviously, a major move there jumping to the bench for him, but it ended up being what the Clips, I guess, needed. Adding an extra guy in their starting rotation, like Terrence Mann, that can play good defense, doesn't need the ball, can just stay in the corner, make his plays on defense, and attack the rim whenever the Clippers go on a stagnant run on offense. And then you have a guy off the bench like Russell Westbrook who adds a lot of juice, Obviously, has had a great career in the NBA, driving down the lane, facilitating, making plays for his teammates. And that's one thing you've seen from Russell Westbrook off the bench. Only 50 minutes of playing time in this game, but he's not complaining one bit. He's happy the Clippers are winning games, and that's obviously great to see. 
Terrence Mann in that one versus the Knicks. Got more involved in scoring in this game. He was 2 for 4 from 3 with 13 points. Good to see him starting to get a rhythm shooting the ball from 3. As for the Knicks in this game, Isaiah Hottenstein played very well for them versus former team, the Los Angeles Clippers. In this game, he had 12 points and 10 rebounds with 3 blocks. Always was a fan of what he did for the Clippers as a backup big man. Made a lot of plays off the bench over a couple of years for the Clippers. Obviously, it was a tough loss losing him in free agency a couple of years ago, but it ends up working out for him. He's getting more playing time for the Knicks. And now the Clippers obviously have Daniel Tice, Mason Plumlee, two good guys off the bench to help them at the center position. Even though it did take some time for the Clippers to find a backup big man that worked, Mason Plumlee was good before he got hurt. Then the Clippers struggled for a few games, then got Daniel Tice, and then things really flipped around. So thankfully, Daniel Tice has been great as an addition to the lineup for the Clippers. As for one guy in the Knicks that really hurt the Clippers when they played at the start of the James Harden era, it was Julius Randle, who did not really go off like he did earlier in the year versus the Clippers. In this game, he had 22 points, 8-17 shooting, 0-3 from 3, but the Clippers end up getting a win, which is obviously most important, scoring 144 points against a very good Knicks defense. And then the next game, the Clippers beat the Pacers 151-127 to on Monday night on the road. The Clippers scored 37 points or more in all four quarters of this game. 37 or more in all four quarters, which is very impressive. The offense was blazing hot. This was James Harden's best game of the year. 35 points of 8 of 11 shooting from 3. And yes, you heard that right. 8 of 11 shooting from 3. 12 of 16 shooting from the floor. Also added in 3 rebounds, 9 assists, a steal, and a block. Had 21 points in the fourth quarter, which was a career high for him, which honestly is surprising to me considering how good he was in those Houston days. It's surprising he never had a 20-25 point fourth quarter when he got really hot. But nevertheless, a career high for him. 21 points in the fourth quarter in that game versus Indiana with a ridiculous four consecutive threes and 17 or 18 consecutive points for the Clippers, which was ridiculous to watch. He had a few heat check moments, and he delivered in each one of them in that fourth quarter. And he had a great moment after one of his last threes. I think it was the last one he made. He fell to the ground after getting tripped, did snow angels on the floor. It was an end one from three, and then yelled into the camera as he got up. The vibes were just immaculate. If you look at James Hodden yelling, the guys that were on the floor with him, they were all fired up. And then the guys on the bench were loving it as well. Bones Highland, Russell Westbrook, all of those guys dancing. Kawhi Leonard was fired up. This team is just different than the Clippers teams from years past. And it's been just a great thing to watch. And I'm enjoying every single second. Obviously, I want the Clippers to win the NBA Finals. But I do know it's a long season. I do know things happen along the way. I'm just going to enjoy each and every second along the way that I can. Because this Clippers team is what I wanted all summer long. I wanted James Harden on the Clippers all summer long. I got my way. The Clippers end up getting him. And I'm just going to enjoy every single second and be here for the ride. Because one day I know I'm going to look back and just be thankful that these memories happened. I obviously want to win the NBA Finals. But if things don't go the Clippers way and something comes up, a tough series, an injury, whatever it may be, I can always be happy that I get to watch some of my favorite basketball players and my favorite athletes play in the same team. Paul George, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Terrence Mann, Bones Highland. I get to see all of my favorite players on the same team. And that doesn't include, obviously, Donovan Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox. I like a good amount of players in the NBA. But being able to watch this Clippers team has been something special. It's something that I'm always going to cherish. So being able to see them play in person in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center was a one-in-a-million dream for me. It really was, just seeing them play in person. Since I always wanted to see Paul George play in person, and then you add in Russell Westbrook, a guy I've never seen play in person before, and Bones Highland, and Terrence Mann, and Kawhi Leonard, and James Harden. It was just awesome to see, and I'm always going to be thankful for that memory. And that was at the start of the James Harden era. That game I went to in Brooklyn was, I believe, the second or third game the Clippers were together, and it was a tough one. It was a tough game. The Clippers were still trying to figure out their rhythm, still trying to figure out things on offense, still trying to figure out their rotations, and they end up losing the game. And Lonnie Walker went off for the Nets in that one. They didn't have Ben Simmons. 
They didn't have Cam Johnson in that game. The Clippers still found a way to lose, which I was not upset after that loss just because I was happy to see them play in person and I knew they would figure things out. And here we are today. They figured it out and they have their formula. Just like Paul George just said on Podcast P this week, we found a formula that's working for us. And he's right. The Clippers have found a formula that's working and I couldn't be any happier seeing them win games. And one thing I want to point out, which I already mentioned, James Harden going off in the fourth quarter in that game, was a stat line from the fourth quarter. I mentioned he hit 16 or 17 or 18 consecutive points, which was very impressive. But in the fourth quarter, he had 21 points, 7 or 8 shooting from the floor, 6 or 7 from 3, a rebound and a block. Just completely put the game away for the Clippers to the point that Kawhi Leonard didn't even have to check into the fourth quarter for the Clippers. They just won that game with James Harden going off and putting that Indiana deficit way out of reach for Indiana to catch up to. So that was obviously great to see, and you're also watching a great tandem between Avica Zubak and James Harden develop every single night. Zubak has become a much better player with the help of the pick and roll with James Harden. Every single night, they're looking better and better, and the chemistry is getting there. Zoo had 18 points, 16 rebounds, and three blocks in that game versus Indiana. He's been great with putting lobs down from James Harden. Harden to drive it down the lane, and a lot of time the defense collapses on him because they know that what he can do in the paint. And when they collapse on him, there's either somebody open from three, whether it's Norman Powell, Paul George, or Kawhi Leonard, or he has the option of just lobbing it up and sending it to Avita Zubak under the basket, and Zoo finishes with a big dunk. And we've seen that a good amount now over the last couple weeks over the win streak. Nine wins in a row, as I mentioned. Paul George in that game, with his return to Indiana, had 27 points of 9-21 shooting. Wasn't his best shooting night, but the Clippers didn't need a 30-point night from him. He had 5-11 shooting from three, which is pretty good, but he did miss some shots that he typically makes, but all in all, the Clippers won that game regardless, so a 9-for-21 shooting night, Paul George would take any time the Clippers get a win, I'm sure. Kawhi Leonard had 28 points of 12-18 of shooting, another good, efficient night from Kawhi Leonard shooting the ball. The Clippers are 19-of-38 from three in that game, shooting 50% from three-point range. Norman Powell was 6-of-11 from the floor with 4-of-6 shooting from three with 19 points. He was terrific off the bench like he has been all season long. I thought the Clippers were going to have to trade him in that trade with the Sixes, and then the Sixes end up taking... Robert Covington instead of the deal, and maybe the Sixers want to go defense rather than go for offense and get Norman Powell, but I was shocked the Clippers got James Harden and P.J. Tucker without giving up a guy like Norman Powell, who can give you 18 to 20 points any given night, and he's been just a great spot for the Clippers off the bench, and he could start for a good amount of teams in the NBA. He really could, and that's not taking a dig at the guys the Clippers traded. I'm a big fan of Nick Batum. I'm a big fan of Robert Covington. I wish both those guys were still in Clippers uniforms, and also Marcus Morris. A guy that I know a lot of people had a lot to say about during the last year and a half. He was with the Clippers. But he stepped up two years ago when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were both hurt. He was carrying the offense some nights alongside Reggie Jackson and Norman Powell and Robert Covington. So I can't really have too much to say that's bad about Marcus Morris. Obviously, things didn't work out at the end of his tenure with the Clippers. But we do know all in all when the Clippers made that run to the West Conference Finals, Marcus Morris was a big reason the Clippers made it there. He really was. And I'm still rooting for all those guys we traded. K.J. Martin. Robert Covington, Nick Batum, Marcus Morris. I'm rooting for all those guys in Philadelphia, and I hope all goes well for them this season there. And it looks like they're getting some minutes there, which is great. So now I'm going to transition and talk about the Clippers' win over the Mavericks last night on the road, 120-111 to in Dallas. It was an 85-83 game heading into the fourth quarter with the Clippers having a very small lead. As I said, 85-83. to And heading into the fourth quarter, I was worried about that Clippers team. I really was. I thought this was going to be a night where they were up big, blowing a 22-point lead. And I thought they would end up losing this game. But that wasn't the case. They found a way to battle back in the fourth quarter and close out the game. But one thing they really struggled with were the closing minutes of the second and third quarters. 
They were sloppy to finish both those quarters and gave up probably 6-0, runs in each of those two quarters. And you need to be better at close quarters. You don't want to have a 15-point lead diminish and you have a 5-point lead heading into the next quarter. You don't want that to happen. But with that being said, the Clippers responded in the fourth quarter and really took over in the last three minutes of the game. They were down 108-106 with 3.46 to go and then went on a 14-2 run. A 14-2 Clippers run with a big three from Amir Coffey to kick things off there and get the lead back. And then a tough shot from Norman Powell, a tough shot from Kawhi Leonard, and they took over the game. And the Clippers did all they could in this game to lose. But they got the win. They were up 22 at one point. They easily could have lost this game considering how much momentum really swung in the middle quarters. But they found a way to battle back and get the win. Russell Westbrook was great off the bench yet again. 10.6 rebounds, 3 assists. Also added to 2 steals. He's been great on the defensive end hustle-wise this year. And he made things really tough on Luka Doncic. Luka really didn't get things going too much in this game. He was 2 of 11 from 3 with 28 points, which was good overall. 10 rebounds, 10 assists, so a triple-double. But 9 of 25 shooting from the floor, 2 of 11 from 3, and 8 of 14 at the free-throw line. Wasn't Luka's best night. Obviously, very good defense from the Clippers, so credit to them on the defensive end. Russell Westbrook was a big part of that. Norman Powell had a very good game scoring the ball, 7 of 10 shooting, 21 points, a steal, and 3 of 6 shooting from 3. So 3 of 6 shooting from 3 will take any night, 21 points. That's obviously great. And then you look at what he did in the fourth quarter, was attacking the basket, driving some big shots in the third and fourth quarter. When the Clippers needed somebody to step up, Norman Powell attacked the rim and had some great finishes. And he was battling an illness last night, but you couldn't have told that from watching a play. So great game from Norm. Kawhi Leonard, 30 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. Did add in a steal and a block on the defensive end. He was great in the fourth quarter. Really was the Clippers' best closer in that game. And then James Harden, 17 points, 11 assists with two blocks. Didn't really light it up like he did a couple nights ago in that game against Indiana. But nevertheless, had a great game in the offensive end. Really made things easier for his teammates. Finding Zubak open under the rim. Getting kickout shots to Norman Powell from three. That's a big part of James Harden's game is setting up his teammates. And that was a big reason the Clippers won that game last night. Amir Coffey got the start in replacement of Paul George, who missed the game with an illness. Coffey had 12 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. Also added in a steal in that game. He looks good again in his second start of the year. We'll see if he starts again tonight. I know Paul George is questionable with an illness. And then Kawhi Leonard had a tough play at the end of last night's game where he was face flat on the ground for a second, which really made every Clippers fan worry in the world, worrying that this season was just going to go down the drain if Kawhi Leonard was hurt. Kawhi Leonard got up, hit the free throws, finished probably the last minute or two of the game. He is questionable for tonight's game with a hip contusion. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he does miss tonight's game, but I'm fine with it. The Clippers have won nine games in a row. We're not going to win every single game for the rest of the season. As much as I want that to happen, that's not the case. Probably best maybe to just rest Kawhi Leonard, let him get healthy and get ready for the Celtics on Saturday. So one thing I want to mention before I change topics and go over to the Celtics, are the Clippers rotations that are working. The five-man rotation of Russell Westbrook, Terrence Mann, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Avita Zubats has an offensive rating of 140.8 this season, which is great. Defensive rating of 116 and a net rating of 24.8. That's a great five-man rotation there. And then the other one is with James Harden rather than Russell Westbrook. And it's the Clippers starting five for most of this run here over that 14-3 stretch over the last 17 games. And the Clippers have an offensive rating with that starting five of Hodden, Mann, George, Lennon, and Zubak. An offensive rating of 122.5, a defensive rating of 105.9, and a net rating of 16.5. And the Clippers were staggering minutes for Russell Westbrook and James Hodden for a good amount of the start of the win streak. And now they're playing a little bit more minutes together each night. And it's honestly worked. I wouldn't change too much about that. 
putting them together isn't the worst thing. I know, obviously, maybe the analytics at the beginning of the James Harden era said, split these two guys up. They're not going to work together on this offense. But in the minutes I've seen from them over the last, I don't know, four or five games, they've looked good and they've been feeding off each other. James Harden phoned Russell Westbrook for a big dunk at one point. And they're also making plays together on the offensive and defensive ends. So even though people were critics of those two guys playing together at the beginning of the James Harden era in L.A., I'm not too much against it. I'm fine with those guys getting minutes together. But obviously, with that being said, somebody has to sacrifice minutes, shooting, and Russell Westbrook's done both. He's getting 15 minutes a night and lesser shot attempts per night because of the fact that he's coming off the bench. But Westbrook, in those clips, when the Clippers are making big plays and he's sitting on the bench, he's psyched. He's enthusiastic. And the same goes for Bones Highland. And Bones Highland's time is coming at some point. And I'm hoping it's with the Clippers. I'm hoping he gets back in the rotation. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers move on from him at some point. And that's not because Bones Highland isn't a good player. He's a terrific talent and is going to be a 20-point game scorer in the NBA at some point. But the issue is the Clippers' rotation is so deep in the guard position and he's not getting minutes. And there's probably a team out there that would make an offer for Bones Highland and throw him in their starting rotation. He could crack any rotation in the NBA. And that's why I'm concerned with the fact that the Clippers aren't playing him. Because that's how talented Bones Highland is. He should be getting minutes on this team. I wouldn't be surprised if a team like, let's say, the Celtics who are interested in adding to the bench, go out and make a move for Bones Highland to the deadline. Because he would be terrific off the bench for them. He really would be. With all that being said, though, I'm hoping the Clippers keep Bones Highland. He's still on a contract for another season after the season is over. And I'm hoping he gets minutes for this Clippers team at some point. But for the time being, he's acting as a sponge on the bench, and he's learning from Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. He's learning from the best of the best. And four future Hall of Famers. So even though he's not getting minutes right now, Everything he's learning right now is going to help him throughout his career in the NBA. So I'm hoping he gets minutes with the Clippers at some point, and I'm really hoping that Tyler can find a way to keep him on this team. But while you're winning games like the Clippers are right now, it's tough to switch up the rotation. It really is, and that's the problem. It's a good thing, but also a bad thing. It's a good thing because you're winning games, and I'm happy. They've won nine in a row, 14-3 over the last 17 games. But it also means at the same time that guys that are on the bench, like P.J. Tucker and Bones Highland, and maybe even Brandon Boston Jr., aren't going to get minutes really much, if at all, because the guys that Ty Lue's throwing out there right now, the eight or nine-man rotations he's throwing out there right now, are working, which is fine. I'm happy to see the Clippers winning games. But at the same time, I want to see Bones Highland get more minutes. But credit to Ty Lue. He's found a way to make this rotation work, and this formula has definitely turned things around. The Clippers have completely flipped the switch, like I thought and I expected them to. They have. And like James Harden said after they started 0-5, in L.A. in the James Harden era, when we figure this out, it's going to be scary. And he's right. It's scary for the rest of the NBA. This Clippers team is something to the fear for the rest of the NBA because you know what they're capable of on a nightly basis. If Paul George has an off night, that's fine. Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kawhi Leonard are all there to pick him up. And the same goes for Norman Powell, Terrence Mann, and the rest of the guys on the bench. Somebody has a tough night in the offensive end, there's a bunch of other guys that can score the ball. Somebody has a tough night in the defensive end, the Clippers have a bunch of guys they can make plays on defense and make it hot on their opponent. Like Russell Westbrook off the bench, making things hot on Luka Doncic last night. The Clippers have completely flipped the switch. And heading into last night, during the eight-game win streak, which is now a nine-game win streak, but heading into last night, it was an eight-game win streak. The Clippers are second in offensive rating in the NBA, eighth in defensive rating in the NBA, and second in net rating in the NBA, which is very impressive. They've completely flipped the switch like I expected they would. And I know it's a long season. I know there's going to be more highs. I know there's going to be more lows. But the Clippers just need to be healthy in April, and I like their chances against anyone in the NBA. Anyone in a seven-game series, they're going to fear the Clippers. They will fear the Clippers in a seven-game series. If this team's completely healthy, 
We see where the cable of went healthy, and we see how the chemistry is building night in and night out. And even with Paul George missing two games over the nine-game winning streak, they haven't skipped a beat. Even with playing Dallas twice and Golden State twice and Sacramento twice and the Denver Nuggets and Indiana, the Clips have found ways to win games. They've found ways to win games. And this three-game stretch, winning last night was big against Dallas, but now having to play Oklahoma City tonight and the Celtics on Saturday, that's a tough three-game stretch. Three games in four days against three good teams. But they got the win last night over Dallas. Dallas did not have Kyrie Irving, which was a big loss for them. But at the end of the day, that's not up to the Clippers who they're playing against. They went out against whoever was in that Dallas lineup, just like they threw out there whoever they had available last night. No Paul George, no problem. The Clippers got the win. They are now 14-3 in the Daniel Tice era, which is very impressive. And it just shows that having a backup big has been huge for this Clippers team. With Mason Plumlee going down and the Clippers trying to run some small ball rotations with P.J. Tucker at center, which P.J. Tucker does play hard. I love his defense. I love his aggressiveness. And I love his hustle. But the Clippers finally turned things around when they got Daniel Tice. Daniel Tice is 14-3 with the Clippers. And that makes me wonder, what's going to happen to Mason Plumlee when he's back and healthy? Are the Clippers going to run a backup rotation with Mason Plumlee and Daniel Tice? Maybe Daniel Tice at the 4 and Mason Plumlee at the 5? We'll have to see what happens there. But I like Plumlee and I like Daniel Tice. But right now, the way things are going, Daniel Tice probably keeps his minutes. And he's not going to take a hit to his minutes when Mason Plumlee is back. Tonight will be a tough contest for the Clippers, though, going up against a good and young Oklahoma City team that's well-rested. Tonight is a back-to-back for the Clippers. Who knows if Paul George is going to play? Who knows if Kawhi Leonard is going to play? With that being said, though, you have two offensive players and Russell Westbrook and James Harden who have been able to take over games during their time together. Whether it be in Oklahoma City at the beginning of their career, whether it be in Houston, or even with the Clippers. I mean, they both have the ability to take over games. We saw James Harden take over that game against Indiana on Monday night. And then we also saw Russell Westbrook take over that series against the Phoenix Suns last year in the playoffs and kept the Clippers in a lot of games. So just because the Clippers don't have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George tonight, if they're both out, I still believe this Clippers team can be in this game and win. I'd love to see Bowens Highland get some minutes tonight. I really would. The vibes around the Clippers in Clipper Nation right now is obviously great. They're winning games. They've turned things around. The team looks like they're all excited. The energy on the bench is awesome. But I know it just takes one bad game for the Clippers to lose. And then everybody's going to flip the switch and just turn sides. And that's just how fans are in general. I've said it now a million times in the podcast. Fans are very fickle. It's a game-to-game thing, a week-to-week thing in the NFL. Some teams show up on a week-to-week basis in the NFL. And then the same thing goes to fans. Fans jump ship on their opinions week-to-week. And night after night in the NBA, game after game, teams will make opinions of players on a night-to-night basis. If the Clippers have a tough game tonight, whether it be with Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, I know people are going to jump ship if we do lose and say... This team's not going to work. What a mistake the trade was. Just like it was the way it was after Clippers are 0-5. Everyone was saying when they were 0-5 with James Harden in the lineup, 0-6 after the trade went down, everyone was saying it was a mistake of a trade. And then, boom, things completely turned around. The Clippers have really figured things out. 14-3 over the last 17 games. You can't react like that after one game or a five-game or a 10-game sample size. It's an 82-game season for a reason. And obviously, you see the Clippers getting chemistry night in and night out and getting more and more dangerous as the minutes continue to go up. More and more reps means this Clippers team is gaining more and more chemistry. And that's obviously been great to see in this 17-game stretch. And that's the reason they're the hottest team in the NBA right now. So now I'm going to transition to talk about the Celtics, who blew a 17-point lead to the Golden State Warriors on Tuesday night, which was very reminiscent of the Celtics-Warriors NBA Finals from a couple years ago. In this game, though, Steph Curry picked up his fifth personal foul with six minutes to go in the third quarter. You'd think that means the Celtics can take advantage of a lineup with Steph Curry on the bench. And that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case. Even with Steph Curry on the bench, the Warriors found a way to jump back in the game. 
And then Steph Curry played the entire fourth quarter in overtime, played the last 17 minutes of the game without getting another foul. Why would the Celtics not attack Steph Curry and try to get him a sixth personal foul to get him out of the game? That's a big question mark for me from that game on Tuesday night. Steph Curry finished that game with 33 points, three rebounds, six assists, 11 of 21 shooting from the floor, 6 of 11 from 3. He did bounce back from a tough shooting night on Sunday against Portland. He was 0 of 8 from 3 in that game. And that was actually the first game in 268 consecutive matches without at least one three-point field goal made. His first time in 268 games that he didn't make a three-pointer. His last game before that one on Sunday without a three-point make in the regular season was November 8th of 2018. I was a senior in high school the last time Steph Curry did not make a three-pointer in a regular season game, which is crazy to see. It lasted my entire college career that Steph Curry had a three-pointer in every single game played in the regular season, which is just ridiculous. Basically, the start of my senior year in high school, all the way through my entire college career, Steph Curry had a three-pointer in every single regular season game, which is crazy, which is crazy. But he recovered in this game against the Celtics, and it was very reminiscent, like I said, of that NBA Finals from a couple years ago, where the Warriors... Just play their game, get the Celtics off their game, and they take advantage of misses and turnovers from the Celtics. The Warriors have the Celtics number. That's just the way I feel. The Celtics go cold from three. The Warriors take advantage of their misses and turnovers and then go on long runs. The Celtics missed 41 three-pointers in that game on Tuesday night. 17 to 58 shooting from three, which is absolutely ridiculous. But to Joe Mazzulla, taking a million three-pointers per night is the formula for winning. But like I said in my radio show when the Celtics were shooting too much from three at the beginning of last season, but were making threes at a record pace and nobody was really talking about it, I mentioned that you're going to have some cold nights. And this was a year ago just about. I said you're going to have some cold nights and shooting 50% from three as a team is not sustainable. And to be honest, I know a lot of people have liked Joe Mazzulla, but when the Celtics do lose games, people like to critique him. But I've never been the biggest Joe Mazzulla fan. But I know his critics are going to be loudest after a loss like that game on Tuesday night. But I've always thought he made some questionable decisions. And I think he's too in love with the analytics. Which I know analytics do help. I'm not anti-analytics. But sometimes you need to have a feel for the game. And say we're shooting way too many three-pointers right now. Let's drive. Let's attack at the rim. Let's try to get Steph Curry a sixth foul. But that's not what the Celtics did. They just continued to jack up threes. Continued to miss threes. And that led to the Warriors coming back in this game. Down 17 and winning the game in overtime. Rookie Trace Jackson Davis had a great night for Golden State in the paint. 10 points, 13 rebounds, 3 blocks, and a season-high 28 minutes for him. He did have a few key blocks down the stretch, one of them being on a dunk attempt by Jalen Brown late in the game. Jackson Davis, somehow was like the 57th pick, I think, in the NBA draft. Completely fell down draft boards, but he's shown to be a valuable piece off the bench for the Golden State Warriors. In overtime, the Celtics were just 2 of 11 from the floor. Steph Curry had 7 points in overtime, including the Dega 3 on a cross-court pass from Chris Paul. Steph Curry had no room in that shot. Derek White was right in his face. But Curry did what he always does. Hits a big shot with no room and no time. And obviously in a big moment. And I'm not sure why Al Horford was lined up for a good amount of the game, it seemed like, against Steph Curry. That's a huge mismatch. Not really too sure. Why the Celtics wouldn't have subbed Al Horford in that situation? It seemed like there were probably five, six, seven times when the Warriors would set a screen and get Al Horford on a switch and get him on Steph Curry on defense. And that was obviously a big advantage for Golden State. I'm not too sure why Joe Mazzulla wouldn't have taken Al Horford out of the game and thrown a more versatile defender out there just to make sure that Al Horford couldn't be picked on by Steph Curry and the Warriors. That obviously ended up working out for Golden State. Jason Tatum in this game was non-existent, it seemed like, scoring the ball. 
like he was a few years ago in that same series against Golden State. It felt basically the same. He was 5 of 17 shooting from the floor, 2 of 9 from 3, 15 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists with 2 steals. Sam Howells had a very cold night from 3, 0 of 6 from 3, which how many Celtics fans ever expected Sam Howells to have an 0 for night from 3-point range, but that's just the way the NBA goes. You're not going to be 3 for 4 every single night you shoot the ball from 3. And then Derek White had his best game of the season. He was definitely one of the positives for the Celtics in this game. 30 points, 7 of 18 shooting from 3, a lot of 3-point attempts, 18 threes. In that game from Derek White attempted, did have seven rebounds, three assists, and three blocks. Was great on the defensive end. I think he had three blocks in the first quarter, but you don't really want Derek White taking 18 threes per night. You'd like the Celtics to maybe drive the ball a little bit more in that situation rather than just relying on the three-point ball. Considering they missed 41 threes in that game, you've got to maybe attack the rim a little bit more. With that being said, though, the Celtics did recover last night in a win over the Sacramento Kings. That game was without Jason Tatum and Al Horford. They ended up beating the Kings last night 144-119. to 144 points without Al Horford and Jason Tatum. It was very impressive from that Celtics lineup. Derek White had another big night. Two big nights in a row. It seems like Derek White's been on an absolute tear. 28 points, two rebounds, seven assists. Also added in a steal in three blocks. Two consecutive games with three blocks for Derek White. He was 6-9 from three. Another good shooting night for Derek White. He's been huge for the Celtics as a start of this season. Jalen Brown had a good night. 28 points, five rebounds, six assists. Has been a lot better as a playmaker as of late. He's been trying to find his teammates that are open. It's definitely gotten him a little bit more in a rhythm on the offensive end where he's not trying to take the time too much to dribble and is just kicking it out to the open person around the perimeter, which has worked for the Celtics, obviously. And Jalen Brown had six assists last night. Was obviously a good part of his game. Kristaps Porzingis had a great night on the defensive end. Six blocks. He was an absolute force in the paint. Also shot the three very well. Three or four from three. He had 24 points, nine rebounds, two assists. If he can stay healthy and play like that every single night, the Celtics are definitely the team to fear in the East. Obviously, Milwaukee's been great. They're starting to find a rhythm. But when Porzingis goes with 24 points, nine rebounds, two assists with six blocks, that's going to be tough to stop for the opponent, whoever the Celtics do line up against in the playoffs. And if Porzingis can stay healthy, having him around the perimeter and dragging out whatever big man's covering him to the top of the key is obviously huge, considering that opens up the paint for the Celtics to drive down the lane, which is obviously a big strategy for the Celtics and for the reason they shoot so many threes every single night. Drew Holiday played very well in this game, 21 points, 8 rebounds, 10 assists, adding in two steals, a block, was 4-6 from three, 7-13 from the floor. I think he was the best player last night for the Celtics. I know the offense was centered around Kristaps Porzingis, and I know it worked, but Drew Holiday had a great game as well. I know Porzingis will probably get most of the recognition for that win last night, and probably Derek White as well, but I think Drew Holiday deserves to be talked about. He had a great game last night, especially on the defensive end, two steals and a block. Shot the ball very well, four, six, and three. It's obviously great to see. Drew Holiday is one of the most talented players in the NBA. Can give you whatever you need, whether it's rebounds, assists, defense, scoring. Was obviously a great acquisition there by Brad Stevens, and the same goes to Chris Tapps Porzingis. De'Aaron Fox did go off for the Kings in that game, especially in the first quarter. 17 points, five of seven shooting from three, three assists and three steals all in the first quarter. Was hot right from the jump. Had a few heat checks from deep right away, and he did hit most of them, it seemed like, in that first half. But he did finish the game with 29 points, 6-8 from 3, 3 rebounds, 3 assists, and 3 steals. He didn't really do too much in the second half. Definitely still, though, a top 12-15 to 15 player in the NBA right now in my eyes. He's averaging just about 30 points per game, which is top 6 in the NBA, and average scoring, which is very impressive. And it's obviously great to see. I've been a big De'Aaron Fox fan his entire career, and it's great to see the player he's become today for the Sacramento Kings. As for the Celtics, they had five players score 20-plus points last night, which was the first time since 1987 that that's happened, and just the fifth time in franchise history. And one thing the Celtics did very well, they scored great in transition. They were very good and very polished in transition, so a lot of guys got opportunities driving down the lane, getting a chance on the fast break. And the key turning point of the game, I would say, 
Was De'Aaron Fox not doing much in the second half? The Kings going cold shooting the ball, and the Celtics just attacking the rim, whether it be shooting the ball very well or taking care of things in the paint. That was obviously a big part of the game, and Porzingis was the key player for the Celtics on the offensive end, and that's a big reason the Celtics had five guys score 20-plus in that game last night. Porzingis shooting the ball as well as he did last night and as well as he's had his entire career makes things tough on the opponent. The opponent has to drag out their big man to cover him at the top of the key, and that opens up the paint. It obviously opens up more scoring opportunities for the guys that are around Chris S. Porzingis in the court. So, obviously, big win for the Celtics getting that recovery last night over the Kings. And now they got the Los Angeles Clippers on Saturday, a game that I'm very excited for. And I'll probably preview on Saturday before that game tips off. So, the last thing I'm going to mention is John Morant, who is spectacular in his return to the lineup for the Memphis Grizzlies. He went off in his first game back from his 25-game suspension. He had 34 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals, a block. Shot 12 of 24 from the floor, 0 of 5 from 3. Wasn't a great shooting night, but he attacked the rim very well. And obviously you can see what he did in the defensive end. 2 steals in a block. One of those steals was very impressive. It was an inbounds play with New Orleans trying to get it, I believe, to the wing. I think it was CJ McCollum they tried to inbound it to. John Morant had his back to the inbound and just pretending he wasn't paying attention. And then as the ball was thrown in, turned perfect time and got the ball. Went full court and got a layup. That's what John Moran is capable of on any given night. He can give you 30 points any night. That's how special and talented of a player he is. Happy to see him get back on track and put up the big numbers he did in that game for Memphis. He took the game-winning shot with it being a tie game. Nine seconds left to go. Drove down the lane. Had a great spin move to get himself a shot at the rim. Easy layup as time expired. Got the win for Memphis. Memphis outscored New Orleans 38-26 in the fourth quarter. They also outscored them 74-53 in the second half. A big reason was John Morant going off and just taking over the game when it mattered most for the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, where they currently stand, are in a tough position. They're 7-19, six and a half games back of the play-in. And the big question around them right now is, can they make a run with John Morant healthy? They've had a lot of things not go their way. Steven Adams being out for the year with a knee injury. Brandon Clark... Tearing his Achilles last year and now being out until the All-Star break. Marcus Smart missing games with a leg injury. And then John Moran's 25-game suspension. They've had a lot of things not go their way. Everything's gone wrong for this team, it seems like, over the last six months. But as of right now, I think they can legitimately turn things around and make the play-in. If John Moran could do what he did in that game a couple nights ago, and if he could do that on a consistent basis, this Memphis Grizzlies team could turn things around and get a play-in chance. With the play-in tournament... All you need to be is either the 9 or 10 seed to have a chance at the playoffs. And I think the Grizzlies can make their way up. I really do. We'll see how things go. I'm rooting for them since I do like John Moran a lot. Anyways, that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Take care. Thank you.